Good morning, church family. If you're here for the very first time, we welcome you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're just thankful that you were able to gather here with us in person, but also those online that we welcome you. As you're getting settled in, I want you to open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 7. We will be taking the scripture out of, out of 7 and also out of chapter 9 that we just read. A couple of announcements that are of great importance. First of all, ladies, if you were here yesterday, there was no question based on the conversation I had with many that Christmas tea was absolutely of the movement of God. It was just a beautiful, beautiful gathering of the sisters together in his name. We also see another opportunity coming up here of the cookie exchange. If you haven't already signed up, I'm, maybe it's too late. So, But you can certainly talk to Linda Voorhees on the details. But those who have signed up, I'm sure you're in the process of starting to cook. Uh, make, bake, I should say. Bake is the proper, proper term here. We are looking forward to see if I can sneak in and try to help you to set up or tear down or clean up in some form or fashion and see if there's crumbs left for me somewhere of the, of the variation of cookies that will be coming. Yes, just bring my eight dozen cookies and I probably can exchange. I tried, Kathleen told me it was her, her day, so I did think about it though, I did definitely. Also, make sure you grab your flyer to give you a sense of what is going to happen of the remaining of the, of the Christmas season into the new year. On December 24th, we will be having Christmas Eve service, candlelight dinner. Yeah, candlelight dinner. Uh, candlelight at 6.30 p.m. I can see it already. Uh, but there will be some food, I assure you. There always is when we gather together. And, uh, and you can certainly bring something to share and to encourage and part of that fellowship uh, for that night. That would be wonderful. Uh, yes, we are having Christmas morning service still at 10 a.m. Uh, here at the church. And again, we'll probably have lots of food and leftovers and all kinds of things to share. But I do want to encourage you to come uh, at 10 o'clock for the service. And then we will also have a New Year's Eve service, 6.30 p.m., and again, more food, I, I assure you, that night. And, and last year we did games, so I think that is scheduled to have games as well, to just fellowship into the coming. Some of us will not stay until, until New Year's at 12 o'clock at night. Most people don't. But at least to have an opportunity for you to have more fellowship on that day so you have a place to come uh, on New Year's Day. But we will not be here New Year's Day. So, so again, we might be cleaning up and doing things, but, uh, but more likely not. But we want to have you come and certainly join us in those opportunities of fellowship with your brothers and sisters. It can be very difficult for many during this time of season. And uh, we want you to make sure you know that Jesus loves you. And your brothers and sisters in the Lord also love you and want to fellowship with you, regardless of how you feel. <laughs> it's true. Let me take a drink here, and let's get right into the scripture. The title is Promise of the Savior. We started kind of uniquely of the Advent season last week, talking about scoffers. <laughs> What are you talking about? Are you really serious that your God, Jesus, is literally going to come back? 
not only for you in, in this thing called the rapture, but even coming back to this earth, that's ridiculous. So this week, we're going to take, and, and, and through the rest of the weeks, we're going to continue through this Advent season. We're going to pause at the end in completing 2 Peter. Why? Because if you read ahead, you can see when we get to the final, it's going to be perfect timing of ending 2 Peter. We're going to talk about the promise of the Savior that the believers, the Jewish uh, nation of, the, of, of Israel had at that time. We also see when the, the church started, what did they refer back to when we read in the New Testament? They didn't have the New Testament. They were referring back to the Old Testament to infirm of what their beliefs were. But what are those beliefs? What did they have the promise? What did they know? Well, we're going to touch on many of the scriptures today. We're going to take two of those today to talk about what gave them a promise and a hope of the future of the Messiah that would come and save their nation. And ultimately, the mystery would come to light that he would be saving all of those who believed in his son, Jesus Christ. So we see here once again, the Advent season is upon us. Once again, this Christ celebration is almost here. For the Christian, it is an opportunity for us to ponder on the promise of the Savior. To reflect upon the person of Jesus Christ himself. God became man in the form of a helpless little baby. No other religion speaks of this. When you really stop to think about it, it is amazing to think the king of all kings, will it be an absolute authority and power and supreme God, almighty God, became a baby on this earth. The promise of the Savior, the fulfillment, the redemptive impact of Christ's incarnation is seen throughout all the scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And Isaiah Isaiah warns of the dark days are coming. That was something he saw 740 years prior to the Savior coming. That God gave him a prophecy of what would be fulfilled and gave him these words to write down. That 740 years down the road, the time, he says, would happen, but a new day would dawn from this. A new day would dawn when there will be light, true light. When joy will be increased, when there shall be deliverance and peace to mankind. In Isaiah 7, 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. We know that this is who we're speaking of, of who Jesus Christ is in this name, Emmanuel. We see it in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. The fulfillment of this, it says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. A baby. Jesus came as a baby. The Savior of the world started off as a baby. 
He was born into the very average human family. Jesus was one of us. Our God is not out there somewhere that's untouchable. Our God came to be known in the flesh. He came to look at the love of Jesus as he manifests his love through the, by, by, from the Father to us. That he sees the love of the God of the Father as he lived out his life. He can look at the passion, we can look at the passion of Jesus and see the passion of God. We don't have to wonder or guess at what God's plan is. His plan was to come to us. Our God came to us. You can't work your way up to God. You can't build your Tower of Babel to God. You can't give enough. You can't work enough. You can do not pray enough and read enough. You can't work it hard enough to reach God. God reached down and touched you. Our God came to us. That is Christmas, my brothers and sisters. We celebrate Christ because he chose to come to us. And that's what this season is all about for you and I as a believer. It's the celebration of Christ who came to us. Why did the Savior come to us? You wouldn't even save yourself. Why would he come to us? Well, we see it in Matthew 1.21. And she will bring forth a son who shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's why he came to us. The promise of the Savior brought the promise of the way to be saved from our sin. To be no longer separated from God. To be once again, to be able to have a relationship with God like Adam and Eve have from the very beginning of time, which was God's plan. Even in the meaning of the name Jesus, meaning Joshua, is Jehovah saves. This is the purpose of his life. Jesus was born as a savior God came to this earth in the person of Jesus to save the world, to save the people from their sins. That was his mission. That was his main purpose. It's not to give you some great lifestyle, but to save you from your sins so you will not go where hell was designed for the fallen angels. The main purpose of the coming of Christ, the Savior, is salvation. The question is, is in your mind should be, why? Why would he save me? I wanted nothing to do with him. I couldn't ignore him day after day after day and then not even think about him. Why would he save me? That doesn't change his love for you. His love is not conditional on how you treat him or how often you even think about him. He has a agape love, an unconditional love. Acts 
nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Have you come to the end of yourself and have you tried every other guru? All the other philosophers of the world? Have you gone as far as getting into some kind of weird pose and and looking at your navel to get, get in touch with yourself? It should have scared you right to Christ if you looked at yourself. If you were really honest about yourself, it should have scared you right to Jesus. Because we see in the scripture our heart is so wicked, who is even to know it? God does. That's why he knew there is no other name. There is no other person and there is no other way to be saved except by surrendering your life to Jesus. The promise of the Savior is the promise of salvation for all of mankind. But personalize it. The promise of the Savior is the promise of salvation that is is a gift to you to receive if you choose. See, the promise of the Savior to the virgin birth is a fundamental, a critical doctrine of our faith. Once you deny the virgin birth, you are one step away from denying the deity of Christ. And when you're on that slippery slope of denying that Christ is God, when you deny that deity of Christ, his death becomes insufficient to pay for our sins. And if it's insufficient to pay for your sins, if Jesus was not God incarnate, if he is not God in the flesh, then he was simply a delusioned man dying a meaningless death For no one. But who is the Messiah? Who is our Savior? The birth of Jesus Christ was that fulfillment of ancient prophecy promise that we see in Isaiah. The glory of the Messiah who will reign on this world, on this earth. We see it in Isaiah 9-6. I read it again. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. As we take the remaining of this time and look at this verse, let us understand why this is a promise for you and I. So many many years ago. The promised hope of the future is in a child. How many people here would put your hope of your life in a child? You look around today and you almost look at children and you say, what are the value? And you see how dark people have turned against our children and the precious gift of life. how we mistreat 
and misunderstand. Oh, as a Christian, all we have to say, if anyone keeps this child from coming to me, it was better that you were never even born. That is from our Savior's mouth. I mean, you have to be in your delusional mind to think to mistreat a child. Do you understand who you're messing with? God Almighty himself. When you mess around with his children that he's created. But the promised hope of the future is in a child that would be born of a virgin. For unto us a child is born. Looking at the birth of Jesus Christ from the human side, a child is born in Bethlehem. We see in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, For unto you is born the day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. For unto us a child is born. Some people get excited, especially the women. Oh, you're having a child. Oh, when's the child been born? Oh, how much did he weigh? And how long is he? And, what, and you know, boy or girl, you know, you get so excited. And us guys go, oh, interesting, unless it's a grandpa. And then it's like, yes, you know. But the single young men go, don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. This glorious prophecy promise of the birth of the Savior reminds and reminds Israel that the Messiah, the Savior, would be a man. It speaks of Jesus' humanity here. A child. Humanity. The Savior could not have been an angel. The Savior could not have been God without humanity. The quality, the Messiah, is to be our Savior and and as a high priest, as Jesus was, the child had to be born. It's part of the prophecy that cannot change. What an amazing mystery that must have been to them at that time. A child, our Savior? We're expecting a king to come over and overthrow these foreign governments who are coming against the nation. How can this be based on a child? There's nothing more weak than a child. Nothing more helpless than a child. There's nothing more dependent than a child. And that is going to be the Messiah? That is going to be the Savior? The Savior could have come as a fully grown man, just like he created Adam. But he didn't choose that. Jesus, to fully identify with humanity, he must be born. To display in his life the servant nature that is in God. We see this in Philippians 2.7. He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Unto us a son is given. This child would be a man, but more than a man. This promise, this prophecy is clear. The promise, he is also the eternal son of God. The second person of the Godhead. It speaks of Jesus' deity. 
The Savior had to be God. He, had, he could not have been a sinless angel or a, a, merely a perfect man like Adam when he first created him. To qualify as the Messiah, to qualify as the Savior of the world, this Savior and high priest as Jesus was, the Son had to be given. What a glorious truth this is. We needed a perfect, infinite being to offer a perfect, infinite atonement of our sins. We needed Emmanuel, God with us, Isaiah 7, 14. Not only would he, he's a child, he's 100% human, but also 100% God. In a perfectness that will rule, a government will be upon his shoulder. The weight of the world will be upon him. Now that the portion of the prophecy of the promise is not yet fulfilled. That portion of prophecy is yet to be fulfilled because he has not returned yet for the government or the entire world to be upon his shoulders. It speaks to the millennium kingdom. Ultimately, this will be fulfilled in the millennium, that thousand-year reign, starting at that thousand-year reign when Jesus will rule the earth as King of Kings. And Lord of Lords. And we see that in many places in the scripture. Now, we see here four descriptive names that Isaiah gives us. It's important you look at these names, these descriptive names that will reveal the Messiah's character. It isn't the idea that these are literal names of the Messiah. Instead, they are aspects of his character of who he is. But these characteristics of our Messiah, the Savior, is so important for you and I today. Because it describes who he is and what he has come to do. For who? For you. For you. For me. What has he come to do for you and me as your savior? During this period of time in the Hebrew culture, a name does not just identify and distinguish a person from one person to another. How well does that go when you're in a church and you have five marks and three, you know, all these, everyone has, seems to have your first name. But it actually expresses the very nature of his being. That's the Hebrew culture. The promise of the Savior brings to us personally the promise of God's help based on who he is. What a wonderful promise that the God of creation which says, I'm coming to you to help you in your time of need. To live a life. In this world that I've created for you. The Messiah is wonderful. Why is this a promise to you and I? What is that characteristic of being wonderful? It means, this word wonderful means glorious, marvelous, exceptional, distinguished. The glory of who he is and what he has done 
for us should fill us with wonder and awe. That the God of, of creation is willing to come help you. How wonderful that is. When you're broken down on the side of the road and you're like, oh, what am I going to do? And who am I going to call? This is no one's around. This is terrible. And all of a sudden someone says, I'm coming. Oh, how wonderful to know. I'm so glad he's coming. But how much better it is when the God of creation, the Savior of the world says, I'm coming for you. I'm here for you. How wonderful. You can never really look at Jesus and really know him personally and be bored. Anyone who sometimes tells me, Pastor, I'm just bored. I don't know what to do in life. <laughs> oh, spend some time with me. <laughs> this journey with Christ is not boring. wonderful it's wonderful because as a born again believer as a child of God you have the spirit of Christ living within you it's not boring it will fill your heart and your mind with amazement because he will reveal himself daily in such wonderful and crazy ways The Savior, the Messiah that they were speaking of is also a counselor. Why is this a promise? <laughs> yeah, it could save you, some people, thousands of dollars of counseling service. Why? Because he's the great counselor. What a great promise. His perfect wisdom. He speaks to us by his word. By a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, through prophecy. By his still, small voice, he whispers to you in the most quietest of mornings. Or darkness of night. He is the one who the people will listen to as the authoritative one. Jesus is the one to guide our lives. You must allow him to guide your lives. And should be the Christian's immediate resource as a counselor. Jesus can help you with your problems. You're going squirrely in your mind and you don't know where to turn. You should, as a Christian, you should immediately be talking to Christ. He's the great counselor. That is the promise for you and I. You can talk at any time, any place, and as long as you want, and you won't be billed. He's willing to give. He doesn't look to take from you. And you're only going to get the perfect counseling by the perfect counselor. No worldly wisdom. No dark satanic things mixed in there because of philosophies of this world. He's going to take his word that he has given you and clearly help you to read it and understand it and apply it to your life if you're willing. Do you realize that's how counseling works? 
You can lay on that couch as much as you want and the counselor can sit there a half hour after half hour and bill you and bill you. But if you don't apply it to your life and believe the counsel that you receive, if it was good counseling, it won't help you. You can read the word and read the word and read the word, but if you do not believe it and apply it, it won't help you. But I assure you, your Savior is the perfect counselor. Just come to him. You don't even need an appointment. You can immediately talk to him. You do not have to wait for an appointment. And you don't have to go to them. It's the ultimate telemedicine kind of thing. Direct line. Do you believe it? I hope you do. He also may use the fellowship of believers and the words of another Christian to do it as well. But Christ is our counselor. How we need Jesus as our counselor. We do not need the wisdom of the world nor the influence of darkness out there in our counseling. Jesus is our counselor in the sense that he sits in the high council of the Godhead and takes counsel with the Father and the Holy Spirit who administers to our lives. Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that he, we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Oh, my brother, says, how many times I've heard, oh, I can't go to God, I've really screwed up. That is a time you must go. Because it's the grace of God will allow you to boldly come into the throne of grace and confess all things. And as a child of God, he doesn't come to condemn the world. He doesn't come to condemn you. He came to save you. And how the enemy tricks you and thinks God is condemning you, that is not of God. It's not of God. Look at the world today. Why is it such a mess? Because of man's wisdom. That is why it's a mess. Turning our backs on Jesus' counsel and disobedience toward him, it will cause your life to become a mess. It will. Jesus' counsel is necessary counsel. Jesus' counsel is a faithful counsel. And without any self-interest, Jesus' counsel is heartily counsel. He's not going to counsel you as an, some detached, unemotional person who's just sitting there to help you to kind of have an, an avenue to communicate or to get it off your chest and then bill you. He's not a detached person. He's not sitting there. I have no investment in you. I'm, you're coming to me. I'm sitting here and you're paying me to just talk. And I'm going to give you some techniques that have worldly techniques that may help you. 
I can tell you right now the two techniques that will work for you as a, as a, counsel, as a, as a pastor. Breathe in and out. Keep showing up when, regardless of how you feel by talking to him. And then listen to him as he speaks to you as you're reading the word. That is, solves your problems if you're looking for counseling. And all of us do. And not only is he so detached and so emotionally attached to you, Jesus' counsel is sweet counsel. It's sweet. It's good. See, the Savior is also a mighty God. Why is this a promise? <laughs> well, the God of all creation and glory is the one who is your Savior. He is all-powerful. The Lord who reigns in heaven is the one who saved you. The one worthy of our worship and praise as we worshiped him in song today. He is worthy. He is worthy. Did you believe those words when you were lifting your voices? Did you know that it is his character because he's a mighty God? He's a mighty God. And because he's worthy of our worship and praise, he can truly solve your situation, regardless of that situation. He can help you. We also see the Savior as the everlasting Father. Why is this a promise? And it's almost confusing for some. I thought we were talking about Jesus, and now he's bringing in his, his characteristics as the everlasting Father. Make sure you understand it's the, ever, it's the characteristic. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. The idea is this Hebrew word here is that Jesus is the source or the authority of all eternity, he is the creator himself. It does not mean that Jesus himself is the person of the Father of the Trinity. It speaks of the nature of the one describing the Savior's relationship to time. Not his relationship to other members of the Trinity. He is everlasting. He is the source of eternity. Just as God the Father is and the Holy Spirit. John 14, 9 says it so well when Jesus said, He who has seen me has seen the Father. It's a oneness. The Savior is also the Prince of Peace. Why is this a promise to you and I? He is the one who makes peace, especially between God and man. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You can say those words when you're a child of God. You can't say those words if you're not a child of God. That is a wonderful promise for you and I, is it not? 
Say yes. <laughs> and say amen. Right? That's complete. We also see in John 16, 40, 33. In John's gospel here, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Why? I have overcome the world. That is who we follow. That's who we put our trust in. Our belief in is Jesus Christ, the one who's overcome the world. So whenever it appears to us that everything is in a destructive or harmful or very costly situation in your life, whatever that may be, let us recall to our remembrance daily and throughout the day, meditating on a day and night, who Christ is, that he's the Savior. He is wonderful because he has unimaginable methods of assisting you and I. At no point you're going to say in your life as you go in your relationship with Christ says, I don't know how he's going to figure this out. This situation is really bad. I just don't think it's going to work. You need to go and deeper in your relationship with Christ. He's wonderful. His ways and abilities is unimaginable how he can help you. He's that wonderful. And he wants to assist us. He wants to take his power and is far beyond what we are able to conceive in our minds he has available to him to help you. To accomplish his will in your life. Don't forget that. He's working his will in your life. We're trying to surrender and die of our will of our life. Because we want his will, not our will. When we need counsel, let us remember that he is the all-knowing counselor. There's nothing you're going to say to him. He's going to go, oh, I, how did I miss that? I can't believe that. This is something I've never heard before. No, your counselor's heard everything. When we need strength, let us remember that he is all-powerful because he's mighty and strong. You have some giants in your life. Understand the one you've put your trust in is mightier and stronger than any stronghold against you. Do you believe it? So stop focusing on the giant, focus on Christ and watch the giant fade away. And if you need counseling, go to the counselor, same guy. Need resources, go to him, he's the, he's the same guy. See, when new dangers spring up suddenly, and they do, and they will, and when many things or people threaten us from various directions, they will. It's only in our time, and they are. They do. Let us trust that eternity, which he is, will bring comfort to you. Because this life that you're living is temporary. 
We're going home. This is not our home. You've heard me say it many times. It's a vacation gone bad. And he's going to take us home. It's his promise. If you're a child of God. See, when we are inwardly tossed to and fro by various disasters, and they will come. When Satan attempts to disrupt our consciousness, our consciences, it makes us squirrely. Let us remember that Christ is the Prince of Peace. He's the one that can take all that squirreliness that's going on in your head. And as the Prince of Peace, he can bring you peace beyond your own understanding. Because it's easy for him to quickly relieve all your anxiety feelings. Do you realize if you come to him as the Prince of Peace, that he can literally bring and take away your anxiety feelings that are overwhelming you at that moment in time? If you will go to him. If you believe that he is the Prince of Peace. That you do have the Savior. The Spirit of Christ living within you. As a child of God, you have this promise. What a great promise. That's why we celebrate his birth. Because this is what brings all this promise to us. Come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden. And what will he do? And I will give you rest, Matthew eleven twenty eight. If you don't have that memorized, written on a three by five card somewhere. I highly recommend it. He's the Prince of Peace. See, think of the wonder of it all. Jesus was born into a world of suffering, a world of pain, of death, and sin. He was the perfect man, the man who was God living in a cursed world. And he was willing to do it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, John 1.14. Don't let this Advent season, this celebration of Christ, come and go without understanding the wonderfulness of it. And who he is, the wonderful. Think about his deity. Think about his humanity. Remember that he came to save you. The promise of salvation. He is a perfect match for every need that you and I have today and the days to come. How do you receive Jesus into your life? How do you able to receive and be able to claim these promises of God? You must be a child of God. John 3.16 makes it clear. For God, not man, 
It starts with God. It starts with God, ends with God, and he's in between. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that's wonderful. But finish the verse. That whoever believes in him, whoever trusts in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's eternity. Let us celebrate the free gift of salvation that has been offered to you, all of us. I pray there's no one here that has not already received that free gift of salvation. But if there is, or someone online listening has not given their life to Jesus Christ and received that free gift from him of salvation, that today's the day the Spirit of God has touched your heart in such a way that you know that you're a sinner and that you want to be saved because he offers you this day that gift of salvation.